Well, good morning. It's a joy to be with you, Jessica. Thank you for that kind introduction. Um, I bear greetings this morning uh, from the great land of Portlandia. I'm curious if we have any other Oregonians in the room. Right over here. Wonderful. Well, let's uh, embrace one another and warm Oregonian uh, welcome uh, this morning when we're all finished, if we could. Um, I do bring, bring greetings from the great uh, city of Portland, uh, pastor church in inner city Portland, teach at, uh, at George Fox and Fuller uh, in Pasadena, really am privileged uh, to get to preach the shortest sermon I've ever preached in my entire life this morning. <laughs> I want to take a few minutes and reflect with you on the nature of understanding what it means to believe in the new Jerusalem, uh, to believe in this uh, remarkable image of, um, of a future dimension where, as Paul says, all things will be reconciled. My uh, kind of background academic work is in the area of um, environmental theology. In fact, I, uh, a number of years ago, wrote uh, this little book that uh, three other people found interesting called Tongues and Trees towards a green Pentecostal pneumatology. And it was actually the very first um, academic systematic theology of engaging uh, environmental theology with Pentecostal and charismatic theology, which for all intents and purposes are two things that generally are not good friends. Or at least it may seem as though they may not get along. Um, and in that process of, of attempting to articulate a theology of creation care uh, to the Pentecostal and charismatic uh, world, uh, I began to find some very interesting, subtle underlying beliefs around uh, the nature of, um, of our future and how that nature, how the, the future Jerusalem, how our, uh, our telos, our, our future, uh, plays into the way that we live uh, now And it became very real to me about uh, 11 years ago when I was pastoring uh, in Eugene, Oregon on the campus of the University of Oregon as a college pastor. Uh, the church that I was a part of at the time, uh, Eugene Faith Center, was one of the largest churches in Oregon. It was a, a birthed out of the Jesus movement. A bunch of hippies became Christians. This massive sort of church exploded in Eugene. It was a very influential church in the area for, uh, has been for a number of decades. And we had discovered this church building that, we, that had been built in the 19, uh, late 1980s, early 1990s. It's a brand new building. We had discovered that this building uh, was leaking toxins into the groundwater supply, that the air quality was filled, that was asbestos, the air quality was horrible. Uh, this building was essentially an environmental mess. And we had decided as a church body, the kind of lead, lead team of the church had decided that it was important uh, to destroy the building and rebuild a new building. It was not salvageable. And so on a crisp spring afternoon, I stood uh, out watching this children's wing of our building, of our church, get destroyed, this massive cement ball crumbling uh, this church building. And I remember looking at the building, which had just been built some 15, 20 years earlier, noticing that this building had been built basically out of paper mache I mean, this building was uh, an architectural disaster. Um, and it had just been built. And I remember standing, watching uh, this whole take, this take place with my senior pastor at the time, Steve Overman, who's a good friend, a great friend of mine. 
Um, and I turned to him and I said, I said, they just built this thing. Why was it built so poorly? And he looks back at me with this sort of <laughs> smirk, uh, almost out of embarrassment. And he, he looks at me and says, well, when they built this building some 15, 20 years ago, they built it with the assumption that Jesus would be back by the end of the year. And it had, I, I remember sort of looking at him and all of a sudden this light goes off in my head. I'd never thought about this. That literally our theology affects geography. I had never, it, it was almost as though uh, the, 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 the gates of heaven had been opened and all of a sudden I saw that what we believe like actually matters. <laughs> and I used the word matter intentionally. It matters in the sense that theology affects our world. And what we believe about heaven, what we believe about hell, what we believe about eternal things actually has dramatic impact on the world around us. One of the concerning things that I'm facing in the Pacific Northwest, which I should point out to you, Portland is the least churched city in the least churched state in America. Okay. So when I describe to people my neighborhood, what do you do for a living? That raises all sorts of problems for me. I can't really just say I'm a theologian and a pastor because that basically ends the conversation. Um, in the city of Portland, in a, place like, in a place like Portland, the church, which is in many senses sort of marginalized, it's on the outside of culture, I'm beginning to see Christians begin to take up the same sort of mindset around things like politics. I'm not going to preach anything on politics this morning. But I'm seeing increasingly people that I pastor who are using their hope in Jesus' soon return to not have to worry about political realities. And while I believe in the soon coming return of Jesus with all of my heart, <laughs> I believe with all of my heart in the new Jerusalem, I believe in my all heart in the future realm, to the degree that our understanding of heaven becomes an escape tool for Christians. We are not understanding heaven. When we read John's description of heaven, this new Jerusalem, this, uh, this beautiful, dramatic image of heaven coming down to earth, if we're theologically accurate, of course, Christians, we don't go to heaven. Heaven comes to us. This is not the making of new things. This is as so many of our theological heroes have reminded us, God doesn't make all new things as though the new world becomes, where are they going to recycle all the old stuff? Rather, God makes all things new. This is not the destruction of everything. It's the renewal of everything. And what does John do to describe this new dimension? Does he describe, as our early Christian imagery has, has, has lent us to believe, does it describe heavenly realms where we have wings and float around in some white bleached uh, environment carrying a hymnal in one hand and a harp in another? 
as beautiful as those images may be and how much they may have been rooted in so much of Christian art and history, the only problem is it's not in this book. That's the only issue with that eschatology. The image of heaven, the image of the new world, looks a lot like Wilmore. It looks a lot like Portland. Praise be to God. It looks a lot like a city. It looks a lot like Jerusalem. It looks a lot like culture. We, of course, have uh, a number of people who have led the way in thinking through this stuff. I think this morning of Richard, uh, Dr. Richard Mao's phenomenal little expose on uh, the prophet Isaiah when the kings come marching in, where, where he talks about, in Isaiah's description of the future realm, of the ships of Tarshish will come into Jerusalem. These ships would have been ships used for pagan purposes. These ships would have been used for purposes not unto Yahweh. And Mao describes how Isaiah portrays this picture that those ships in the new Jerusalem will come in, but they will be resurrected and freed and sanctified of their old pagan powers. Heaven will be a city where the ships of Tarshish remain ships, but this time they are ships for Yahweh. I often ask hipsters, will your, will, will your tattoo make it to heaven? I would argue that your tattoos, if they're good, <laughs> may make it. The bad ones will be sanctified. <laughs> Miroslav Wolf has done phenomenal work. In fact, a number of his articulations of our theology of work uh, say, say, when we look at human inventions, we look at human technology, he talks about how uh, in that new city, could, is it unfair for us to think that things, the good things that we have created that serve people, that bring about human flourishing, why should we not suspect those things may be present? Miroslav Wolf even argues that the Gutenberg press may make it to the new Jerusalem. Of course, when we look at Jesus' resurrection, it is very important that we recognize that what does Jesus do for 40 days in his resurrection body? He eats over and over and over again. Apparently, resurrection makes you hungry. <laughs> what does he have? He has his scars. What does John describe here in Revelation 21? That you will no longer have tears flowing from your eyes. We will have eyes in heaven. Our bodies will be present. It's not disembodied. Although it should be pointed out that he says that the tears will be wiped from your face, implying that there will be tears upon arrival. And for a church that had suffered, what hopefulness that would have brought. You have been crying, but those tears will be wiped away. What we think about eternity matters. Believing in hell, as uncomfortable as it is, I believe, is important for the follower of Christ. I agree with C.S. Lewis. Believing doesn't mean that you like it. In fact, the people who like it, Lewis says, are the ones he's most concerned about. <laughs> if you like hell, it's most likely that you want somebody to be there. I think believing in hell is actually important. In fact, 
The University of Oregon, where I used to study and work, tells us that this is a secular university who did a study on the nature of hell. And they studied a number of years ago the relationship between a crime and people who believe in hell. And they found that people who believe in hell were half as likely to commit violent crimes. This is the University of Oregon. It has to be right. You don't even need the Bible to tell you. Just go to the University of Oregon. Why, do they, why is this important? They, under, they came to the belief that those that understand the nature of hell, the sense of judgment, as hard and painful as it may be, at least have built in some sense of accountability. A Jewish rabbi once told me that when you ask most Jews, they have to believe on some level in the nature of judgment. Elsewise, you are caught with the thought that Anne Frank and Adolf Hitler get the same thing in the afterlife. And heaven, friends, is so critical we believe in a glorious future. That glorious future, friends, cannot be a hall pass for social laziness. It is because we believe in heaven that we serve the poor. It is because we believe in heaven that we care for the earth. It is because we believe in heaven that we love the refugee. It is because we believe in heaven that we get involved politically. Friends, heaven is not an escape tool from responsibility. It is the reason the follower of Jesus enters in. As Martin Luther was believed to have said, if I knew Jesus was coming back tomorrow, I would still plant an apple tree today. Think of our hope, and I close with this. Think of the hope that we have, friends, and how that hope of a new Jerusalem who descends upon us should give us the power and the strength to walk in the life of the Holy Spirit. And I'm not talking to people who have the Spirit more than people in our churches. We don't believe in no trickle-down pneumatology. The Spirit of God is in the people that we serve to, and our belief in heaven empowers us to love this world. Look at this creation we have. I close with a quote. John Bradford was killed, burning on the old English martyr, was dying on his stake at the very end of his life. And as he burns up, somebody captured his final sermon, the shortest sermon he ever preached, I assure you. John Bradford screamed at the top of his lungs, friends, foes, this is the creation God has given to his enemies. Imagine the world he will give to his friends. What hope, friends. Pray with me. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, I ask you for forgiveness for taking 15 minutes on John on Revelation 21. You demand so much more than this. <laughs> you deserve so much more than this. But if we walk away today, God, with one thing, May we understand that our belief in heaven is the power to love and serve this world, not the opposite. Forgive us times, forgive us for those times, God, that we have used our belief in the afterlife to escape. And may we enter in, as Luther said, to be willing, even if we knew you were coming back tomorrow, to plant a grove of apple trees today. In the name of Jesus.